0: At first, the news of random clown scarings were isolated to a few communities in the South. Then they grew more and more frequent, hitting towns across the country. It became so pervasive that it was brought up Tuesday at the White House press briefing. And even Stephen King weighed in on Twitter, writing, quote, Hey guys, time to cool the clown hysteria. Which sounds like a name of one of his books. Uh, most of them are good. Cheer up the kiddies. Make people laugh. Unquote. Uh, we can't tell you why these clown sightings are happening. Blame the election if you want, but... We can do the next best thing. For today's Please Explain, we are talking about creepiness with David Livingstone Smith, professor of philosophy at the University of New England. He is the author of seven books, most recently, Less Than Human, Why We Dream, Why We Demean, Enslave and Exterminate Others, numerous academic papers, and the author of the essay, A Theory of Creepiness, uh, in the online magazine Aeon. David, welcome to our show.
1: Oh, thanks, Neil. I'm glad to be here.
0: Okay. good. Also, uh, we want to bring you, our audience, into the conversation, have a question about creepiness, want to talk about what creeps you out. Give us a call at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org slash Lopate or on Facebook and Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. So, two psychologists in Illinois, Francis McAndrew and Sarah Kenke, uh, recently tried to get a handle on creepiness with an online survey. Uh, David, what do they find
1: uh, well, they 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 well they found all sorts of interesting uh, details like uh, clowns are regarded the creepiest of professions, uh, followed by taxidermists, sex shop owners, and and some others. And they found various traits that people regard as creepy in other people. They interpreted all of this stuff uh, by suggesting that we're creeped out by people. When we are uncertain about whether or not they pose a threat to us, or uncertain about what sort of a threat they might pose pose to us,
0: what is the what's the sex shop threat?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm not sure about that. <laughs> that. I I tend to go with a different conception of creepiness. So, uh, and what's your paper, conception? They didn't explain it. Oh, my conception of creepiness is that. We regard something as creepy if we can't slot it in to a category, or more explicitly, when we slot it into two mutually exclusive categories simultaneously. So, for instance, corpses are creepy because we see them as people, but we also see them as slabs of inanimate flesh. And it's that tension between a person and basically a piece of meat which generates the feeling of creepiness, just as uh, figures in a wax museum do have the same sort of effect.
0: Uh, uh, like I said in the introduction, there's this pattern of creepy clown sightings across the country. Yeah. Has this ever happened before? And uh, Like where people are weaponizing clown costumes?
1: not aware of it ever happening before uh you know the the clowns are i don't know how long they've been regarded as disturbing to be honest but a lot of people find them really really disturbing um
0: the, this seems to show that while many people hate being creeped out there's a big group of people who like inflicting creepiness people who dress as clowns and other weird creatures uh, oh, yeah, what is is that part of would you call that part of the 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 sm masochism thing?
1: i mean it, it is an assertion of, of power over others right to freak other people out gives can give some people quite a
0: thrill um okay is there any connection between creepiness and awkwardness like there always seems to be that one person a co-worker usually don't want to name them uh maybe a family member again don't want to name them who give off a creepy vibe? Yeah, um, is is that just, is it poor social skills or is it? it...
1: Well, the the two psychologists you mentioned uh, earlier on think that deviations from what's considered as normal generate this feeling of of creepiness. But I I don't really think that's sufficient. There are a lot of people with poor social skills that that we don't experience as creepy. We experience them as endearing.
0: Is part of it evolutionary, meaning for our tribe to have some, you know, greasy-haired, uh, creepy person? <laughs> Don't we kind of want them out of our tribe? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I doubt very much if prehistoric human beings were terribly concerned about the greasiness of their, of their <laughs> I guess, hair.
0: I guess not them particular, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like now, I think it, maybe it's 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 a uh, vestigial from from like sort of cave times or tribes of like wanting anyone who it's like i've heard that about gossip gossip is actually uh in us because it helps us control the tribe more
1: yeah well that that's that's a theory of gossip that's right look everything is evolutionary in some sense human beings evolved and therefore any feature of human beings has some connection with with our evolution but when people make claims about things being evolutionary, they normally mean something much more contentful and much more specific. And in this case, it would be, you know, pure speculation. We don't know even to what degree the creepiness response is general amongst human beings from culture to culture. So such speculations would far exceed anything we could reasonably say about. Well, yeah.
0: Does it Japan? vary because there are things in, say, Japanese culture that I find inherently creepy?
1: Oh yeah, uh, yeah. And have I,
0: you found variants? You know, you you've lived in England
1: oh, and and, now look, and live in the northeast. Yeah, I mean, Britain and United States, at least the East Coast, United States, are are I think far too similar to find much variation there. But look, I think it goes like this. In every culture, there's this these set of assumptions about what's natural. You know, there are, there are frameworks in terms of which we classify things in the world. And I think in each culture, anything which transgresses those boundaries that doesn't fit in to what is supposed to be natural is experienced as creepy. I mean, that's how horror movies work. So the the monsters in in horror movies transgress natural boundaries. They're, you know, strange fusions of wolves and people, or there are people with demons living inside them, or things of this nature, things that violate what we consider to be um, how things are.
0: And there's got to be an element of contagion to it, too, right?
1: Well, yeah, we we res- this this is a response which comes very easily to us, and so of, of like like other um, sorts of fear responses, c- yeah, creepiness easily um, spreads. There's sort of an epidemiology of of creepiness. I, I guess we see this with the clown scare right now.
0: Um, okay, is the ability to feel creeped out a form of a sixth sense? Sixth sense, like something that is hard to put into words, but something we just feel inside.
1: Well, uh, it hasn't been theorized. I mean, I think that when people are creeped out by things, they probably have difficulty specifying why that is.
0: Yeah. Can right? you talk so, about the difference between the threat ambiguity theory and the categorical ambiguity yeah, theory?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the threat ambiguity theory is the theory proposed by, by Frank McAndrew and Sarah I guess her name is pronounced. Apologies, Sarah, if I've mispronounced your name. Uh, So that's the view that we're creeped out by people. They specify people um, to the degree that we are uncertain about whether or not they pose a threat. Um, Now, the category ambiguity theory is, is a lot older. It goes back to 1906, a paper. Uh, the title of which is normally translated on the psychology of the uncanny. Um, The German word translated as uncanny is unheimlich, which I think is better understood as creepy in this context. And that view is basically what I began to articulate earlier, that we experience something as creepy to the extent that it doesn't slot into our Um, natural categories, but rather pulls our minds in two directions at once, like it's animate or it's inanimate, it's human or it's subhuman, and we can't settle on one or the other. And it's that tension that gives the feeling of something which is disturbingly unnatural, and that's the source of the creepiness feeling. Uh, And it doesn't have to be Dangerous. So, if you imagine a, a severed hand crawling across the floor in front of you, well, hands all by themselves aren't particularly menacing things at all. Um, they're easily dealt with, right? You could kick it away. But it would be deeply, deeply, deeply disturbing. Or imagine a, an an animate uh, plant that moves its its um, its twigs around like like limbs. That would be very creepy, although it's not posing any physical threat at all.
0: Yeah, I think that speaks to the contagion thing, like it's going to get on me somehow. I'm Neil Brennan, in today for Leonard Lopate, and we're talking about creepiness on today's Please Explain. If you have any questions about creepiness for our guest, David Livingstone Smith, or me, I'm pretty creepy, uh, you can call us at 212-433-9692 or tweet to at Leonard Lopate. Dylan Foley on Twitter asks... Why are close talkers so creepy?
1: You know, I think that the word creepy is used in in different uh, contexts. So a close talker, I assume he means someone who sticks his face in your face and gives you the feeling that your personal space has been violated.
0: Yeah, like Joe Biden, kind of.
1: Yeah, okay. So you could have said, why is Joe Biden so creepy, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? Um, I th- i think they're the uh the... Th- the threat ambiguity approach is probably the best way to make sense of that. This is felt as invasive, as unwanted intimacy. Uh, and then you, you know you want to get that person to back off, but that's in tension with the demands of social etiquette. But I'm not sure, see, I, like I said at the beginning, I think when we say things are creepy, it's like an umbrella concept. It covers. Everything. Yeah, from like our roaches
0: or mice or, or rats. Movies. Yeah, are those things considered creepy, or is that a is that a different phenomenon?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Is it maybe yucky? Yes. rather than creepy.
0: Hopefully next we can we can cover what makes things yucky. Okay. Uh, uh, Arusiak Tarubian from Queens, New York, uh, wrote to us on her show page saying, "Quote: Since childhood, I've been completely creeped out by those enormous animated mechanical dolls that people set up during Christmas time by the trees. Uh, they have crazy eyes and arms that fold in and out. Absolute shudders."
1: Yeah, that's classic. I mean, that's the category ambiguity thesis. You know that thesis like i said it was introduced in 1906 and it was forgotten about until 1970 when a japanese roboticist named masahiro mori wrote this really influential little paper saying look when we're trying to make uh humanoid robots once they start getting really really similar to human beings uh we're going to get creeped out by them so that's
0: something the uncanny that's valley
1: really close but not quite there is disturbing because of this. Uh, I think because we see it as a robot and we see it as a person simultaneously, and so these animated dolls that's, that are, are are mentioned by your uh, your correspondent there. Yeah, that fits that paradigm very nicely.
0: Let's go to Stephen from Garfield, New Jersey. Hi, Stephen, you're on the air. Hi.
2: Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm very interested in this subject. Um, so uh, I'm only 26, but my favorite horror movie of all time is probably The Shining. And um I would love to know why movies and culture, it seems, has moved away from things like The Shining and things like The Exorcist and moved on more to, like, uh, you know, jump scares, like the paranormal activity movies or movies like uh, the new Evil Dead that's, or Saw
1: that's nothing, just gore. Well,
2: can, is there any reason for that?
1: Well, there's, I'm sure there's a reason for that. What the reason for that is, um, I'm not certain of. But, you know, trends like that, of course, there's some reason why those those sorts of movies are thought uh, to make more money than the other sorts of yeah, movies. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, can speak explains as a guy... why people make one kind of movie or another kind of as movie. As
0: a guy that works in Hollywood, I can say that there's probably... I can say that The Shining's probably too sophisticated for today's audiences. Yeah, right. And... Yeah, uh, that- and I'm, and I'm the Exorcist, I feel like they make sort of those, not necessarily paranormal activities, but the, uh, the, I can't remember the name of them, but they feel like they make those those movies now, like that, that are Exorcist somewhat uh, mm-hmm. uh, adjacent. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the Uncanny Valley, would you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's the, the idea of, uh, that's Maury's idea. So Maury says, suggested, look, uh, when we're making robots, if they're quite dissimilar to human beings they're kind of cute they're 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 kind of cute um and as they become more similar to human beings they get more and more cute so you get like the little r2d2s and stuff like that and then when they're almost human looking but they're not quite there then the cuteness effect drops off and that's the that precipitous drop is the uncanny valley where we're, we experience them as creepy,
0: and that may so, speak to the 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 2004 animated movie, The Polar Express, where exactly a lot of right. viewers yeah, found that the fell film into creepy. The uncanny
1: Valley. This is a real problem for for animators who who want to create realistic animations.
0: Um, and and because they are kind of lifelike, but I, not this is quite an interesting there. tangent. Um, I was uh, performing stand up one night and I asked the audience, uh, I asked women in the audience, if your husband cheated on you with a sex robot, but the robot had exposed wires like the Terminator, would that bother you? And they said no. And yeah. I said, if it was smooth, would it bother you? And they said yes.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Like that people, it's, it's, it, there are, there's something where they want. What are do you know what scientists are doing about this? Like how they're covering it in terms of robotics? Are they trying there are to two keep
1: strategies? Them? Uh, one is simply not to try and simulate human beings. Right. To build in uh, 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 build in features such that we're not going to be inclined to see them as sort of fusions of humans and machines. That that's what produces the disturbing effect. Um the other strategy is to try to make them more and more realistic and that's the harder strategy because we're very very good you know we're a highly highly social species we're very very sensitive particularly to human faces yeah and and we can detect very subtle um deviations from a genuine Human face. Well, yeah, that's
0: why I always tell people when they're like, "Can you tell I had surgery?" It's like it's—I can absolutely tell. Everyone can tell. It's like the one thing we're good at. Yeah, um, and
1: and that's by the way one thing that we respond to is creepy, um, really bad uh, cosmetic surgery.
0: Yeah, that's funny. We're yeah. talking about creepiness on today's Please Explain. Our guest is David Livingstone Smith, professor of philosophy at the University of New England. His most recent book is called Less Than Human, Why We Demean, Enslave, and Exterminate Others. And he's also written an article for Aeon called A Theory of Creepiness. We'll hear more from him after the break. I'm Neil Brennan. In today for Leonard Lopate. This is WNYC and WNYC.org. WNYC.org. <laughs> Hey, Neil Brennan back, filling in for Linda Lopate. We're talking about creepiness in today's Please Explain segment, and our guest is David Livingstone-Smith. Let's go to Ma Raid from Westport, Connecticut. Hi, you're on the air.
2: Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Um, So I was just, uh, this is a super interesting topic for me, but I was just as I was listening, thinking about uh, kind of a personal anecdote from when I used to work in an animal shelter. And, you know, we would get in dogs that had been surrendered and many of them would have some kind of flaw that made them, you know, not fit in the home that they were in. Um, And sometimes when we would do behavior profiles on these dogs, every once in a while we'd just come across a dog that we couldn't label any other way other than just say they were creepy. (laughs) And, you know, basically they would just be dogs that were not normal in some way, and and we couldn't, you know, say that they were aggressive or anything like that. They never did anything wrong. They were just, they just send a shiver up your spine because they make some kind of weird eye contact or stand really still, and it was really creepy, but it just kind of, I think, maybe a bit of both of the, the threat theory as well as that they're just not normal. They just don't fit into what you anticipate out of a dog. Um, but just kind of this bizarre behavior, and trying to explain that to people outside the industry, they always kind of think it's odd. But inside the industry, everybody knows what a creepy dog is.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. That's that's yeah. So there there are dogs that are not doggy. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. You see them. You see it. You look at it. say, oh, this is a dog. But then you attend to some aspects of behavior, and you feel this isn't a dog. This is something else. And that tension between this is a dog and this isn't a dog generates this sense of creepiness.
2: Right. It's just this kind of, it doesn't fit into the category correctly. Yeah. Like, it's just, it, it conflicts with your pre-understood
1: idea yeah. of a dog. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like a dog, but doesn't seem to have that inner dogginess.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, hey, David, you also wrote that ancient religious rules around food, like kosher laws or halal, yeah. have to do with creepiness. How is yeah. that?
1: Well, this is, a, uh, this is my, the way I draw on the work of an anthropologist named um, Mary Douglas. And she call, she talks about what she calls impurity. And um, I kind of slot that into my approach to creepiness. So a lot of taboos, for instance, food taboos, have to do with, with, with eating things which seem to uh, violate the categories upheld by the culture. So the, 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 um, the violations, or, or rather the, the, the kosher laws set out in Leviticus, um, she argues all of the forbidden foods come from animals that seem inconsistent with the sort of way that the ancient Hebrews categorized animals. So pigs were pigs have hooves but they uh, don't chew their cut. Right. And that's a that's a category violation.
0: Let's go to Kit from Bayville, New Jersey. Kit, you're on the air.
3: Hi, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I wanted to kind of go back to the whole creepy clown scenario. <laughs> I'm a high school teacher in New Jersey and last Friday there was a rumor going around that was so rampant that creepy clowns were coming to get us all, that my high school students, 16- and 17-year-olds, were all terrified. And um, it got so bad, our superintendent had to put a notice up on the webpage saying there are no creepy clowns, you know, don't worry about it, Um, we're working with the police to make sure there's no threat. But my question is, because I don't find clowns scary at all, Mm. Why do people, and I guess especially young children, why are they so terrifying? Is it because, you know, they're an exaggeration of the normal human features?
1: Yeah, uh, I just don't I, get here's, here's, it. Here's, I mean, this is an, a topic of considerable speculation by many people. I think the reason that clowns are experienced by so many people as creepy is that they seem intermediate, again, between animate and inanimate. They're Uh clearly human beings, but they are made to look like some kind of a doll Mm -hmm. with the strange hair and the strange makeup. And there's also a contradiction between their facial expression and the expression which is painted on. Mm -hmm. But we're confronted with these inconsistent inputs, and mm-hmm. that creates category ambiguity. And, we, and David, <laughs> would that go for Matt? Hmm? Yeah, Matt. i sorry, it's the
3: inconsistency about between what we expect and what we're seeing no, that gives it the, the creepy factor? the inconsistency
1: between the different things that we're seeing. Okay. Right. So we see a human being and we see a doll. Right. We see a big happy face and we see uh, underneath it a facial expression which isn't happy. So it's being bombarded by these contradictions generates this sense of category, uncertainty, and that produces the creepiness effect. But there's something that you said which I think is really, really important, this contagious terror. I got into creepiness through my work on dehumanization and genocide, and this is precisely what has happened historically with uh, persecuted groups, groups that were oppressed or wiped out, that they were seen, they were dehumanized first as subhuman beings and then felt to be creepy and invasive and, and treated terribly, if not exterminated entirely, uh, because of this kind of response. So it's a really serious business. Yeah,
0: could you talk a little bit more about that? Because I, you see it today, like with when when Mike Brown was shot in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. The guys. Oh yeah. So yeah. that
1: in in that that case. So here's one of the things about creepiness, particularly what I would call you know high octane creepiness of uh, that is the creepy being is seen to have spooky powers, supernatural powers. Psycho- uh, psychologists call this the superhumanization bias. And so if you read Darren Wilson's account of Mike Brown charging him, his testimony, uh, Mike Brown is presented as a, almost a, a supernaturally Yeah, you call him
0: a demon, figure. right?
1: A demon, yes. That's right. And, and we get that a lot. I mean, if you look at Nazis' uh... characterizations of jews we find the same thing if we look at the the uh... characterization of african-americans by whites as sort of super predators mm-hmm. which actually is not a recent thing it goes back to the nineteenth century uh, we find the same sort of thing. These 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 people are seen as subhuman creatures and as human beings and that lethal combination gives us the sense, well, doesn't give me the sense, but gives those who dehumanize them the sense that they are, you know, disturbingly creepy, monstrous beings that are deeply, deeply threatening.
0: And Nazis did that with? With
1: With Jews, yes.
0: uh, Through, like, a lot of cartoons and stuff, right?
1: Yes, but also, you know, they seriously believe that Jews were this, you know, a tiny proportion of the population were this extremely menacing threat to all of humanity this uniquely formidable foe that needed to be destroyed or you know at the cost Is that when of the, the horns destruction thing of civilization. started? Sorry?
0: Is that when the horns thing started?
1: No, the horns thing started in the middle ages. So of course the dehumanization of Jews is very very old and in the middle ages uh, uh, many Christians believed that Jews had horns that Jewish men had periods uh, all sorts of very strange beliefs,
0: and and is this some of this is just is this out-group stuff? Is this just like this? These are others.
1: It's more than that, right? So there, there. Are, look, there are lots of others that we don't dehumanize. Um, there are lots of. people But there is something to be said for like
0: people with disabilities or trans people, or you know, yes, I mean, like. I
1: mean oh, those are real two really good cases. So people with particularly with certain sorts of disabilities that make them diverge from certain stereotypes of a normal human being, elicit the creepiness response, particularly um, facial disfigurement. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, trans people, you know, in a culture with very rigid gender uh, categories, as the more conservative uh, elements of our culture, has, then transgendered people are seen as very creepy because they transgress the male-female uh, divide.
0: And could this speak to the to the the evolutionary thing again? Is that uh, the that uh, that tribe, and then we demonize that tribe? Uh,
1: maybe, maybe, <laughs> but we don't know what was going on 200,000 years ago, so. I would prefer to be um cautious about that line of speculation.
0: There's also the the idea of we are we are we like to be creeped out, the sort of the the freak show type thing. Yeah.
1: Well, so here's the, the thing about creepiness. It's very important. What one of the things that differentiates creepiness from fear is when we're frightened of something, we just want to get away from it. It's like we want nothing to do with it. But something that's creepy is also is both disturbing and fascinating. We don't want to look, and we want to look.
0: Yeah. Um, do you ever worry that by connecting racism and segregation with creepiness, it lets people, especially racist public figures, off the hook? They can say it's, I'm just creeped out, but it's more just, it's just racism. Or-
1: no, there, I think these people are in, in no danger of actually being sophisticated enough to make that sort of argument. That they 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 want to the racists want to characterize those whom they detest as as inferior, if not outright evil. So in making it subjective like that, uh, you know, that would run counter to the the racist program.
0: Uh um Seth Campbell asks on Twitter, Death is natural and is big a part of uh, evolution, so why is it considered creepy?
1: Well, naturalness has nothing to do with uh with, um, um, with, well, I shouldn't say that actually. Let me, let me, let me back up a little bit there. I think it's not death, the abstraction death, that is considered creepy. It's our mixed response to to particularly dead people, not dead non-human animals, dead people.
0: I think wakes are pretty creepy.
1: Oh yeah, how come you think that? What creeps you out about awake?
0: Well, it's you're because it's I think it's what you said. It's they're half they look kind of alive, but not yeah, really. Right. And that, you know they're dead, but maybe they're gonna sit up at say. any point.
1: Yeah. I mean they're lying there. And people say, Oh, they're at peace. Yeah. But you know they're dead. They're not at peace. Yeah. Now it as you're so uh, interested in the evolutionary thing, so let, let me kind of throw you some red meat here. Thank the, you, David. Uh,
0: thank you. I'm starving <laughs> for red meat. <laughs> I'm um, vegan, so this is going to be. I may have okay, some time issues, out but whatever. By them, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um,
1: you, what your last caller asked about is, um, look, I think we do have an evolved a kind of sensitivity to other human beings, other living human beings, such that we're able to read each other really, really well. This is just part of our equipment and part of our nature. Is a highly, highly social primate Mm -hmm. i'm quite happy to endorse an evolutionary a a kind of more direct evolutionary basis for that now because of that when someone close to us dies we can't help still thinking of them as there as a person so we're looking at that damn corpse we respond to them as a, as a purpose, as a person. You know, We're looking at their face, and it just triggers that human response in us. At the same time, we're smart enough to know that they're, they're cold meat. And I think that's, it's that story which really explains very well the creepiness of corpses, particularly the creepiness of corpses of people familiar to us.
0: Yeah, I also think it's, it's creepy to serve meat. At a at a wake, yeah, I think it's I creepy to serve food at a wake. Honestly, I think, I think it's disgusting. In that.
1: Particularly cold cuts. I would guess.
0: No, yeah, it's uh, atrocious. <laughs> um, in your book, less than human, you write that while the term dehumanization is tossed around a lot, there's actually very little scholarly research on the subject. Yeah. Uh, what do you find about dehumanization when you did your own research on the subject?
1: Uh, well, uh, here's what I tried to do. So I was really shocked that the research is limited. Virtually all the research is in social psychology. The social psychologists have actually been doing a a pretty decent job, although I disagree with a lot of their views. They've been doing a decent job in researching this in the last several years. Uh, So what I tried to do was to write a book pulling together lots of the history of dehumanization, the historical scenarios where it happened. Try to understand what's going on under the hood, what the psychological dynamics of dehumanization are, and try to understand what its function is. So we start with the function. I think that the function of dehumanization is basically moral distancing. Uh, Human beings are often caught in a situation where it's to their advantage to do harm to others, to enslave them, to steal their stuff, to exterminate them. But in doing that, we encounter fundamental inhibitions against drawing human blood. And we have those inhibitions precisely because we're such a highly social species. So dehumanization is one kind of, it's kind of a gimmick, a psychological gimmick that allows us to disable the inhibitions against these terrible atrocities that we perpetrate on one another. Yep
0: we've been speaking with david livingstone smith about creepiness on today's please explain we posted a link to his article a theory of creepiness on our show page david thanks
1: you're welcome neil